Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm mischievous Mark Chinacchio, and I too own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but the annuals don't count. But do the giant-sized ones do? I mean, that's the claim that you've been making, Mark. You've been yeah, making that claim. I know, but then this issue, I don't know. <laughs> Now it's a quality thing. Uh, yeah, and I've no. got a lot of issues of Amazing Spider-Man to run your way. That's true. In terms that's true. Of quality. <laughs> well, welcome to the Amazing Spider-Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of the Amazing Spider-Talk. Today on the show, Dan and I are going to be discussing Giant Size, Amazing Spider-Man, King's Ransom, number one. This issue was written by Nick Spencer with art by Roge Antonio with Carlos Gomez and Zay Carlos. Colors by Alex Sinclair and letters by VCs Joe Caramanga and a cover by Mark Bagley, John Dell and Brian Reber. This issue was first released on May 12th, 2021. You can send all complaints to my pronunci- about my pronunciations to AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com. <laughs> I just think it's funny that we moved from one issue that had two Federicos on it, and now we've got artists both with the name Carlos in their name. Are they hiring based on name? I may- Perhaps. Although I thought the art in this issue was, was decent. What's new? So, giant-sized King's Ransom number one. You know, I want to start this off by talking about the format of this book, uh, the giant size of it all. Yeah, I mean, beyond them missing an opportunity to make this king-sized, which, I mean, come on, it's right there in the the name. Like, go for the king-sized one. You know, I I guess we're we're falling back, you know, on, on history here. What do we think about these giant sized issues as like finales to arcs, which we've got another one coming up with this chameleon story? Dan, we we speculated a bit about this months ago when they announced that this was coming. And, you know, we still don't have confirmation if our speculation was correct. But the fact of the matter was, you know, the, the speculation was coming from a place of, you know, they're, 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 they seem to clearly be rushing towards something having to put in these these giant size issues in the midst of that is is a way to kind of like cheat the 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 shipping schedule a bit and 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 get more content out there and and you know like for me i you know like you're reading this 
And it's making me question, like, you know, the efficiency of storytelling. I mean, not that this was like a total waste of page count, because it really wasn't. But I don't know, like, you know, you kind of go back over the last few issues and you're like, ah, you know, maybe cut out some of that filler. And this could be three normal sized issues or or, you know, or maybe you add the extra and it's four normal. So I don't know. But like the, the fact of the matter is like. This this is a tough sell right now. I mean, you know, we're we're, we're dealing with a couple of conflicting uh, things going on here. I mean, one you got the the extra price tag and the extra page count for this that that's a lot to swallow. And then the the second is the fact that they're basically making this book a weekly book right now, kind of a la the Clone Saga years. And you're like, you know, does it need? You know, are we are the stories epic enough and and important enough to warrant? that level of content distribution and and frankly to this point so far i would say no they're not <laughs> sorry but they're not <laughs> i mean and, and i'll say part of that is my sympathies to nick spencer you know who you know the last time we had this kind of output this consistently was a rotating team of writers and artists and we've got a rotating team of artists on this book for sure but we got one guy that's spearheading it all. And, you know, hats off to him that it is coming out as coherent as it is, because I think, you know, I think quibbles aside about this issue, the, at least the plotting of it, you know, it's pretty solid. I mean, there's some things I would take some, some issues with, which we will talk about, but if there's a reason for the way that this book has been paced, it might just be that one guy is being asked to do the impossible, you know, because this is a double side. This is two issues in one, you know, so we ostensibly got what four or five issues of amazing Spider-Man this month worth of content from one guy. My, my hat's off to him forgetting the speed at which we're asked to buy these books. I did like that. This allowed this story to conclude in a longer format in, in a way that I think allowed a lot of the beats to play out better. But I think you're right. I think, look, I enjoyed the Robbie tombstone stuff, but I don't know that we needed like three whole issues devoted to that. And I like the costume stuff, but it ends up being pretty inconsequential. So I don't know that we needed to have all that shoved in here. And I think if you really had an editor that could help you trim these things down, which again, it like, I don't know what's going on in the spider offices, but it seems very much like it doesn't have an editor that's looking over these things. You wouldn't had to do this big, massive thing. You could have done this in three issues and had it be just as satisfying. I'm of two minds. I'm like, okay, cool. At least it was allowed to end in a way that I could sit down in one reading and enjoy and feel like we had the pacing that it deserved. But also like, why, why are we forcing this upon this creator when additional support could just ferreted out these problems to begin with? Kind of going back to what I said a few minutes ago. I mean, like, are these stories as a whole, it's not that they're bad stories because they're not. These are these are fine stories, but like, are these truly like epic enough to be justifying? You know what turns what's going to turn out to be multiple months of this. You know, like of these. You know, like yes, it's nice to see these stories resolve in a way where we don't feel like we're kind of like sprinting to the finish in a rushed and haphazard way. But like, frankly, when we go back to some of the storylines where that's happened in recent years. They're stories that were kind of built up with epic fashion, you know, whether it be, you know, the Craven story or or Last Remains or during the slot era, things like Spider-Verse and, you know, some of those, you know, the Dead No More. 
yeah, you could have used maybe a double-sized issue to kind of wrap it all up. But like, you know, this this whole little thing between Kingpin and Boomerang and, you know, the, you bring the new Avengers in, but you really don't use them outside of some punchlines. Like, I mean, this seems pretty pretty standard stuff like this is a pretty standard spider-man story like it's, it's it feels weird to be spending you know putting this much page count and effort into something that's uh, pretty pretty rote at this point i mean it's again it's not to say it's bad it's just but it's pretty standard this is not like elevated spider-man stuff here yeah and then i'll just speak about like you know sales because i always think about our conversation with tom brennan where he's like you know our jobs were saved by that Obama issue. You know, you look at something like this and you think, oh, well, this must just be a marketing tactic. They're going to charge five ninety nine for this thing and sell normal copies and get an extra boost, like double sales, essentially, for that week. And we're all about quarterly returns and blah, blah, blah. But I got to say, like, I, for reasons I'll get into shortly, I went to three different comic book shops looking for this issue and all of them had very short supply, like ordered three or four copies of it because it was listed as a different series than Amazing Spider-Man. It was listed as giant size number one. And so it was treated as like a, a one shot. Now you could say like, well, that's shame on those shops for not really following along and reading the solicits and knowing that this was the conclusion to this big story arc. But I also just think like, is it necessary to give this a number one and a giant size like it's going to reduce your sales. I mean, at least, at least from my anecdotal evidence. Similarly, I get I get an email every Friday night from my comic book shop about like the coming week's releases. So you know, so I can let them know if I want them to hold anything for me. And the identifiers on this issue were really kind of vague. So you know, and I'm assuming they're just probably getting it direct from Diamond or whoever who's like you know sending the this stuff in right now. I think it was like giant size King's ransom. That was what it was listed as. And I was kind of like, and I, and I initially forgot to hold it. I actually, I asked for heroes reborn Peter Parker Shutterbug or whatever, because I actually recognized the character names. And then I had to go back and say, Oh wait, I also, cause you, I think you reminded me that giant size comes out this week. I'm like, Oh, that's right. And then I went back. I was like, Oh, I need the King's ransom book. Cause who's thinking about like, I'm not, I don't look for King's ransom. I'm looking for Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on. Uh, yeah, like, like, yeah, I don't know. Like to me, like this was very poorly marketed uh, on top of everything else. <laughs> well, I mean, just to, just to like magnify that this is like a really culminating issue, you know, like so many storylines get wrapped up here, not to mention the King's ransom one. Although given the way this book has been written and, and released, you, you know, I don't think you like you, you could really feel like you missed out on a ton because it felt like the story kind of mini concluded in the last issue of Amazing. You know, like, yeah, we didn't get the answer to the Boomerang thing, but Boomerang stories and arcs of this book have ended in similar ways before. So, like, a lot of people probably just assumed we're just moving on. So I, I think a lot of people are going to miss this book and not realize that they've missed it until they pick up issue 67 or whatever it is we've got coming next. And I think that's a real miss. So I just can't really understand the reasonings behind this. It's just really odd to me. And it just, again, further underlines my big question of like, what is going on in Spider-Man editorial? We could talk about that all night, Dan. But, you know. <laughs> Maybe that's our 300th episode. 
Let me just detail really quickly my struggles to get a copy of this issue because <laughs> this, is pretty uh, this was stuff. like, this is pretty interesting. So I showed up at my, my local comic book shop and, you know, picked up my copy of it. And the guy behind the counter was like, you know, who, who reads Amazing Spider-Man and we kind of have a repartee about it. He was like, man, this is a really letdown of an issue. It was really poorly written. It almost made no sense. And I said, oh, that's funny. I, I thought the reaction that I'd been seeing online, you know, this guy's usually pretty on the money about these things, but he's even more down on Spider-Man than I am because he freely drops it left and right. And so I, I picked up this book and I was really eager to read it. So during a break at work, I like cracked it open. And within the first few pages, I was like, what is going on with this story? Like it was, you know, I had the first page and then it looked like a half of a spread. I was like, I looks like I'm missing. He just talking to the defenders and suddenly they're fighting all these boss, like mob bosses. Did I miss something? But I was like, no, this is how Spencer writes these things. It's like timey wimey, you know, like we're jumping in and out of time. So like, I, you know, this must just been a particularly rough transition and I kept reading, but then I got to a point where I was like, this is really confusing. But now we're starting to get the same pages again. Like, why am I reading the same pages all over again? This can't be right. So eventually I just kept reading and I'm like, this must be a misprint. But maybe if I, you know, ignore these extra pages, I'm going to be okay. And for the most part, I kind of got through the story and was like, all right. But there was no conclusion with Kingpin. There was like none of that stuff. It just suddenly jumped into a preview of Black Cat. And I was like, what am I reading? So clearly it was a massive misprint, which it was. I was, the book is printed twice in my issue, but it's only half the book. So I've got half of it in one issue. So I went, I called the store back and every issue they had there was the same. So every copy was like this. So I was like, I got to go see if I can find this book somewhere else because I want to have an actual, here's the sucker that I am, Mark. I went out to buy, to give them more money <laughs> because I have to read this issue. You, you know? messed up. Let me give you more money. <laughs> right. So, okay. So they're like, I mean, like my comic book shop is like, we have to, you know, call these defective and return them and everything. But that doesn't help me out because one, I got this show to do. And two, I already think this issue is going to be in short supply. So I call up another comic book shop and I'm like, Hey, this is going to sound like a really weird question, but do you have a copy of giant sized amazing Spider-Man King's ransom number one that you can get out for me? And they're like, I think we have like three copies of that book. And I was like, okay, well, first of all, I was like mental note, flag that for discussion on the show that not many people are carrying many copies of this book, but two, uh, cause this is how I think. And two, they got the book and I said, okay, now I'm going to ask you a really weird question can you flip through it and make sure that like it's not misprinted because I, I have a massive misprint in mind because at this point I didn't know if this was like a localized thing or if this was widespread or whatever. So they flipped through it and they're like, no, we have one that's totally fine. And I was like, okay, great. I'll come out after work and come pick it up. So I go to the comic book shop. I go in the new shop. So that's kind of fun. And they hand me the issue. And of course I brought in my issue to compare it because I was like, I want to make sure that this is, you know, the real deal, you know? So I open it up and I'm like, nope, this one is misprinted too. Completely different store on the other side of town, also a misprint. So then all the customers start like huddling around me because they have to see this thing. 
So suddenly there's like collectors that are like, hey, do you have any other copies of the ones with the misprints? I got to own the ones with the misprint. You know, I get my blue lizard variant. <laughs> right, right. And the, the the owner's like, I've seen misprints before, but they never typically sell for that much more. So I, I don't know. But I'm like, I just want to read this damn story. So we go through all all their issues and they're all misprinted the same way. Except what we realized was the variants were not misprinted. So I ended up picking a variant, which is going to end up going back to Marvel as another variant sale. We got to keep this business practice. Here's the new business practice, Mark. I'm I'm saying is we make the variants right. But we we misprint all the normal issues and we get double sales from people that really care. But otherwise, there are people like I, I don't know how my comic shop like now I'm really doubting his uh, opinion because he read through it and didn't realize it was a misprint. I don't know yeah. how. It's like kind of how I was when I, I, I in college, I had a Virginia Woolf book I had to read and apparently it was missing 20 pages in the middle and I didn't realize it. And this is like, yeah, I don't know. It's just the usual <laughs> Virginia Woolf blather. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, anyway I, I yeah. now have a, an issue that I can read, but I don't actually own a copy of the original right cover. And now I'm like, do I go and buy that? Like, is no, my collection Dan, complete? You're done. you're done. I'm just going to hold it over your head that you don't have an original first print normal cover issue and thus your collection is not complete. But otherwise, don't do it. Well, I mean, to uh, me, it's worth the six dollars to not have you do that. So then yeah. Kyle Price, one of our listeners and former collaborators, was like, I'll drive one over to you because he lives in L.A. and his were OK. So he's like, I can get you a copy. And I'm like, OK, Kyle, I don't really think that that's necessary. But anyway, it's a it's a whole thing. But here's the other cherry on top is that if the digital codes were all broken, too. So even if I wanted to to read it digitally i couldn't although apparently they started working today who knows this is a whole kerfuffle okay that's my story i i, I got it over with but uh i was able to eventually read this story well speaking of which why don't why don't we why don't we talk a little bit about this story i was gonna say briefly but it's a long story but you know let's let's hit the highlights dan before we both pass out here from, from our double shift here so let's first talk kind of about a little bit about what happened at the end of the last issue and how it ties into here which was this team up between spider-man and the new avengers or was it defenders i mean we were it, the funny thing is you and i both questioned that last week and they made joke of it here in terms of team ups here this you know outside of like them all saying oh i hate that guy and regarding regarding boomerang didn't quite get what the purpose of bringing in all these other characters were because they were used so sparingly and it didn't go anywhere (laughs) right i mean they they fight against the mob leaders which is a way to i guess wrap up that storyline but I think there was probably another way to do this. And I think, again, like I get say, like a good editor would probably say, maybe we don't need to bring in these characters. At the same time, I could see an editor saying, we need to bring these characters in because we have to do some cross promotion of some kind. So, but this doesn't really seem like significant cross promotion. So it's really hard to say. I will say to skip ahead, there is a nice beat where Spider-Man kind of realizes that he's been so wrapped up in his own drama that he hasn't really been attending to his friendships as he's trying to kind of convince them of this whole boomerang thing. It worked for me while also feeling a little bit hollow because this whole book is about Spider-Man's friendship with boomerang and the amount of time he's put into that. So it doesn't feel altogether like Spider-Man is totally ignoring his friends. If he's been able to make a new friend that is at the heart of this very story that we're reading. So I was like, okay, nice beat. 
I don't, I think the story you're telling kind of essentially undermined that beat and it's very nature. I think that's fair. I mean, and, and, you know, and again, when it comes to Spider-Man's friends, I don't know if I think about these characters as much, but whatever, it's fine. I do think like kind of the, the arc of Spider-Man and Boomerang here is, is fun stuff. I mean, you know, obviously as it starts, you know, we, 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 you know, Kingpin is sent is of course still sending everyone after Boomerang Including lawyer, you know, but and it's like they're they're they the mob bosses are are you know they're getting tipped off by Kingpin, but like they're also meeting with their lawyers, which you know just seems like a very like Nick Spencer in Nick Spencer's head joke, but it worked. I, I kind of chuckled at it when it was like and lawyers, you know. <laughs> um, but I mean, what are you thinking of kind of like the setup into actually getting into the drama here, Dan? And this is why I feel like this story maybe could have fit well in like a three issue thing is because I think the way that it fits in this book is actually really elegant that we, we spend like pages setting up the history of Spider-Man's relationship with Boomerang from Spider-Man's perspective, right? That like how he's seen Boomerang change and, you know, spoiler for the end of this book, you know, we weren't getting the full story. And so I think it was smart for him to recap this here in these kind of elegant, you know, spreads, you know, the classic using, the Dr. Octopus tentacles to divide a page. Although in, in this case, I believe it's like the female Dr. Octopus's tentacles that are wrapped around boomerang. But I thought like, you know, first of all, the layout was nice, but second, like I, I think it's a good way to structure a book. Anyway, I thought th- this was a good economic use of, of the space that he had to create this kind of elegant reveal. I think the other big kind of push we got in this comic to kind of wrap some things up here was regarding the suit and you know we've kind of been talking about this since its introduction like where are we truly going with it are they utilizing it the right way and kind of the moral of the story regarding spider-man's new costume was kind of like eh, you know jonah jonah had other plans right <laughs> right so it's revealed that like jonah is was using this to like not only because i don't think i still think he legitimately is trying to help spider-man out but he also is using it it, like um, Robbie hinted at as like a PR campaign to basically suggest that newspaper is dead and threats and menaces the new thing. But then that evolves into this new pro spider slayers thing where users can occupy a spider robot, which we've seen Jonah kind of utilize before, right? With his like spider slayer police squad during Spider Island. And this seems like a kind of like retread of that idea. And people can kind of get in on the action. You know, not only can you watch Spider-Man, now you can kind of be Spider-Man. And Mark, I got to say, I really didn't like this for a number of reasons. First of all, that it seemed like a retread of both Spider Island, but also like, did we forget about the Hunters plot line from just like 20 issues ago where we had this essentially same exact idea of people, I mean, these were less, you know, male- uh, more malevolent forces occupying these things. But like, did we need another retread of this kind of idea? I also think that Jonah would never name something pro Spider Slayers. You know, this guy killed his wife and Jonah kind of went off the deep end about it for a long time. I just, I can't imagine him even humoring that idea. So it seems like cheeky in a way to kind of destroy the character. And then I also think like just in terms of like this story, it go, I'm sure we're going to like revisit it at some point. Although it also seems like maybe 
who could tell? This could be the end of this storyline here, but it goes nowhere and has almost nothing to do with the story of King's Ransom. And I think it also like suggests that the threats and menaces suit, which is a, we'll talk about later when it's kind of erased from the storyline. They There was no mining of the dramatic potential. Like if this was the dramatic potential that this suit had, I feel like it totally missed the mark of like what it could have done with people watching Peter be Spider-Man and Jonah being the guy in it in the chair for Spider-Man. I, I just felt like what a major whiff on all fronts. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I would, I would agree with pretty much everything you said there. I mean, you know, like, yeah, I mean, even Jonah's entire characterization here. Uh, I mean, I get that. And they did set this up in some of the previous issues, but like, I'm also just not buying just how much like, you know, is it that that Jonah wants to bury print or does it he want his own success? And that's to me, you know, kind of what's in question here and why I don't totally buy like he's not going all out so he can advance himself. He seems like he's going all out just to destroy the Daily Bugle. And I mean, I guess that, I don't know, I guess that's kind of within Jonah's character, but it just feels kind of in recent years outside the realm of the character. So like, yeah, I mean, to what you're saying, none of this was working for me. (laughs) It's just like, I don't know. Like I didn't, I, 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 I had no interest in Jonah and his turn, turn here. I mean, the only, the only kind of thing I kind of chuckled at was that I, you know, that threats and menaces gets an acronym now. (laughs) It's (laughs) TNM. Like originally I was like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Wait, no, no, that's not it. (laughs) (laughs) They still haven't updated their really bad logo, which is just like the least aesthetically pleasing thing ever. And I got a chuckle out of like one of the people operating one of the bosses, like a little boy blowing like a, like bubble gum. Like that made me laugh, you know, too, in terms of like a visual gag. But like, this was just not the evolution of this plot line that I was hoping for, you know, even if it was a new idea, but it also feels like a real retread. Spencer, come on, man. You're not running out of ideas already. So, you know, Spidey chases down the sewers while um, his friends kind of fight the mob bosses up above. And he goes down the sewers to find Boomerang, which weirdly has drawn him back to a gog or whatever has guided him back there, which is the original location of the previous tablet, the piece that they saw where they fought Vermin. I don't know why it needed to be in this spot again. It seemed like an odd beat. He finds Fred there. This scene is really interesting with 2020 hindsight, but you know, Fred who's got rocket boots can't climb the rocks, you know, and he seems all pathetic and he's really down on himself and saying like, you know, I always screw up. I I'm always the problem. And he's like really pulling a Spider-Man and reading it through a first time. I was like, okay, this is interesting. We're really positioning Myers to be, like a Spider-Man adjacent, you know, obviously if you reread this issue, it's for good reason. what do you think of this moment? It felt like an interesting juxtaposition to have. I mean, you know, it also kind of like demonstrated what we saw last issue, like Boomerang's kind of obliviousness to those around him, that he would be, of all characters, be moaning to Spider-Man, like, you know, you don't know what it's like to feel like you constantly let people down. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? So like it, it it worked in that vein per what they were setting up in previous issues, but then it also ended up working in terms of the swerve that's coming later. So I I, I mean I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I liked kind of sympathizing with, with Boomerang but also laughing at him. 
Uh, frankly, I also then enjoyed watching Fred's former partner show up to to, to kick his butt. <laughs> I, I think for me, like that previous scene, before we move on to the Boomerang Revenge Squad, the, the highlight of the scene looking back on it, you know, is there's a great panel of a close up of Fred smiling. And, you know, at first you're like, OK, he's been really picked up by Spider-Man. But rereading it, you realize he's smiling because he's pulling one over on on Spider-Man. And it's like it's a cool kind of thing where this same image can be read two different ways. And that makes like the Fred stuff more fun. So you're right. So then the boomerang revenge squad consisting consisting of the shocker hydro man and uh, speed demon show up to kind of like stop them, you know, on behest of, I think they're working for the Kingpin or they say they're working for the Kingpin to kind of stop them from getting to the tablet. And of course they get their butts kicked by, uh, Spider-Man and and Boomerang. Yep. And then Felicia shows up and she's disguised as Kingpin's doctor. (laughs) Great, great, great master of disguise there. She uh, steals the tablets and brings them to Spider-Man and Boomerang until and and I'm I'm laughing because the scene itself is making me laugh but then also Dan your notes here is making me laugh a ghost shows up <laughs> I mean you know like let's 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 talk about some secret scrolls maybe I don't know it's on the level and the ghost casts a spell on boomerang and says uh, certain death will befall anyone who touches the tablet that's not a quote unquote true hero so who is the only true hero in the room that can save the day Dan well <laughs> It's Spider-Man. But I got to say, like, when I read my, like, messed up issue, it's like I, I, I read this and, like, I was like, well, clearly I'm missing some major backstory to this that's established and I, that I didn't get to read because my issue is so misprinted. I was like, this ghost thing must be set up in, in the issue. So then when I got the actual issue and there was no real setup to the ghost, at least at that point, I was like, what is this? Why is there a random ghost now? And the characters don't really react like, whoa, what the heck, a ghost? Like Spider-Man's like, oh, clearly there's a ghost attached to this thing. I mean, um, why not? I mean, we're, we're we're in a superhero universe, Dan, but yeah, ghost. <laughs> I, I don't know. Did you have the same reaction I did? I was just like, what is this now? Like, I could care less about this. Yeah, I mean, like, I wasn't, like, super duper incredulous about it, but I was definitely just like, wait, what? You know, <laughs> like, who is this character? Like, what are we trying to establish here? It just, there's just a lot of random plot beats in this story. I mean, like, nothing, again, nothing, like, that offensive to my sensibilities, but, like, stuff that just seems really random, and this is this was kind of a top of the random list. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Is it your understanding that this is like the ghost of the archivist? Like, that's what I imagined it was because, or like at least a spell ghost of the archivist because he's got like glasses on and like, I'm like, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. But like, it's just like, it's still random, completely random. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So then Spidey webs up Boomerang and like gives him the speech. Like, I think you're a hero, but we better not like. Fair not chance it. (laughs) Yeah, right. So, and then Jonah pipes in, like, still on Spidey's side and seeing his, like, kind of spider bots destroy all this property and kind of fall on their faces immediately, kind of like that plot point. Jonah, like, kind of peps up Spider-Man is like, this is your big chance to show everyone that you're a true hero. Like, we can redeem this thing. And Spider-Man is like, no, 
and he has a realization that like it's his relation his relationship with money is complicated and actually like having money and fame hasn't actually helped him in the past you know even all the way back to amazing fantasy 15 and that like you know that kind of pursuit has led him to mistakes it's not a part who he is so he renounces the threats and menaces suit and in my mind i guess this is the end of the threats and menaces suit and he returns to his classic red and blues and shuts down the, the broadcast. So let's talk about this as what I perceive to be the conclusion of the Threats and Menaces suit. How did you react to this moment? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, like I, I actually found it to be a little visually confusing when he was kind of renouncing the suit. But like, eh, like you know, bringing up like, oh, my complicated relationship with money. I mean, again, like, you know, not to repeat myself from just a few minutes ago, but like, these, these beats all just seem to kind of, you know, I kind of feel like we're playing Mad Libs with Spider-Man here. I mean, nothing is that far-fetched, but, like, we're kind of just throwing random different plot beats out there to see what, what, what can stick and what doesn't. And, you know, like, I don't know, like, if this is how we're going to get rid of the suit, like, kind of tying it into the complicated nature of fame and money, I, I don't know. Like, like it just feels like such a missed opportunity I, I, every, at every chance. I mean, like, they, you could have done so much more with this and, and had a more dramatic conclusion to why you would have gotten to this point rather than like, ah, on second thought, I, I shouldn't do this, you know, money money and me don't mix. I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I might just be overly glib about it, but it really didn't really didn't do it for me, Dan. No, I don't, I don't think you are. It's funny because you're, you're seeing like the skeleton of a moment that could really have been powerful because it is it is true like that Spider-Man and fame and stuff often doesn't go well. I, I even think about like this Sam Raimi Spider-Man three movie and what fame brings him in that, you know, and, 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 and the repercussions of that. Like Nick Spencer's clearly knowledgeable about possible themes that you can explore in Spider-Man comic. But the point is this theme wasn't explored in the pages of this book. And if that was something that wanted to be part of this whole climax and really have some like real meaning behind it, we shouldn't have spent the time on Robbie and tombstone, but actually exploring the drama that this suit provided both in terms of like financial drama for Spider-Man and, you know, what he's compromising or like the, you know, his relationship with Jonah in his head, but we never really got any drama out of that. So like this decision is, just as like uh, it seems just as much like frivolous as the introduction of the costume in the first place, which is just like, well, I got it as abruptly as I'm giving it up instead. Uh, you know, I think about this versus like the end of, and this is a really hard comparison, but look, this is a giant sized issue, you know, amazing Spider-Man 300 and the return of the red and blues there where it's as actual like real thematic meaning here. Like there's potential for that. And I like the visual of, of him getting rid of it and him, you know, being declared a true hero, but there's no weight behind it, like you were saying. So, again, I, I, like you said, a, a missed opportunity. So, right. So, Spider-Man, I guess the other question is, do you think this is the end of the Threats and Menaces suit? Yeah, I think it's over. I don't, I don't think we're going to be spending much more time with this. So That's super lame. Yeah, I mean... Here we are, Dad. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so he grabs a tablet and passes and it proclaims Spider-Man a true hero after all, as if there was any doubt. And uh, that's the end of the story, right? Like all is well and good. They save the tablet, except 
<laughs> the the Revenge Squad comes back. Uh, Speed Demon, I think, in fact, is uh, the, the, the Speed Demon steal it and then punch him out? Well, whatever. Spider-Man gets knocked out and doesn't understand how they get free. Where's Boomerang? And then what do we find, Dan? Well, Boomerang is standing over Spidey's body. And he's got a bit of a look on his face and you're like, well, I should have seen this coming. Peter uh, wakes up back in his destroyed apartment with Felicia, which then made me question like, well, where was Felicia in all of that? Maybe there's a line I missed, but like, was she not there during this whole thing to like, didn't she show up with the other tablet piece? Like, uh, where did she dip out to? Yeah, I don't I, I don't think you missed anything. I think we just kind of jumped. <laughs> OK, well, so then she just decides like, oh, sorry, I wasn't paying attention for a minute. Let me um, pick up Spider-Man's body and return him home. And so like he's back in his apartment. And of course, Fred has left him a note. This note details a sort of alternate history where this was all a setup from Boomerang all along. He had been pulling one long con because the archivist was murdered by some of Kingpin's cronies and in his dying breath put a spell, which is where the ghost came from, on the final piece of the tablet that he knew that Boomerang wouldn't be able to overcome because he knew Boomerang wasn't, in fact, a true hero. You know, that we had been reading a long con this whole time and it reveals all the little bits and pieces that we had gotten of how we should have put this story together. And honestly, Mark, this really worked for me. I didn't say it on the show, but I and, I, and I'm not even sure if I told it to you. And so this is going to sound like me, like 2020 <laughs> uh-huh. inventing this, like, <laughs> oh, I knew this all along. I had been really thinking that this was where we were going. And so I felt good reading this. And I think that means it's a good, a kind of a good reveal. How did you feel about this reveal? Yeah, I mean, I was disappointed only because I liked what the dynamic was between Spider-Man and Boomerang uh, to this point. I mean, it's totally sensible and totally logical. And even like when, you know, Fred is, you know, doing the I'm going to explain my plan to you routine, you know, it's outlandish in that comic book way, but it makes sense. I mean, there's nothing, you know, like, I mean, he, he, he played the long game. He took advantage of Peter Parker's quote unquote relationship with Spider-Man to kind of get an in. And then, you know, he he worked his connections from there. So totally logical. Didn't see it coming. But like when it happened, I was like, yep, that's I mean, I, you know, I'm sad, but that works. <laughs> I, I like the emotional element of it, too. Like the note itself exists. The note existing essentially is saying like, hey, I care enough about a relationship to tell you more about this. And you get these great images of like him back at the bar with no name and all of the superior foes or whatever, all cheersing him, you know, like he's a new hero to them. But then you see this kind of like, he's not ecstatic about it. And you see this sad look on its face as the final image. And I thought it was really poignant to see him so upset about like his decision that, cause he really was this close to, you know, actually becoming a hero. And it makes you kind of look back on the scene where he's reaching out towards the tablet. And you almost wonder, like, was he reaching out there with the intent of touching it and really seeing if he'd become a hero after all? I know that he probably was counting on Spider-Man stopping him, but part of me thinks that like 
if he had taken one more step forward, he would have been regarded as a hero for the actions that he did. You know, some of his uh, like saving Peter Parker in the bar with no name when Scorcher was blasting at him and, and sacrificing himself selflessly like that. You know, in the look at another lookout moment. Another lookout. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's almost a victim of his reputation too. Like Spider-Man, Spider-Man's lack of faith in his heroism is kind of what stops him from achieving and maybe actually turning good. Because if he, I feel like if he had gotten that true hero proclamation, there was still an opportunity for Fred to undo all of this and uh, that. So I wonder if we'll revisit that in some way that like, in a way it's, it's Spider-Man's fault for not believing in Fred a little bit more for this all kind of happening. Hey, look, any opportunity to lay it at the hands of Spider-Man's feet <laughs> or whatever uh, I think these books go for. Um, d- did you have that kind of same feeling like ab- about all this? It's well depicted both visually and then, you know, through the script. I mean, like you're, you're feeling the remorse and you're feeling like, you know, if only if only this was a different timeline, I could have had that redemption. But no, it was it was it was a good arc for the character, uh, whether you wanted to see it as a fan or not. It, it, it was a well executed arc for Fred. And, and, and I think in terms of payoffs, you know, like I, I think this bodes well, maybe for Kindred. But I do think that like the Fred story really benefited in this being a very long, drawn out thing, actually, because it allowed you to invest in that friendship a little bit more. Whereas I feel like right now, my feeling is the kindred thing does not adhere to that ideology. So as uh, Spider-Man is uh, recapping all this to the new Avengers, of course, he's kind of just like throwing his hands in the air being like, well, you know, what's the worst that happens? Kingpin's just going to resurrect Vanessa anyway, like he always wants to do. Except what does he actually do, Dan? (laughs) Yeah, so he's not actually looking to uh, resurrect Vanessa, it turns out. When he went to Kindred in the catacombs of Paris, Kindred told him no, but he also told him like, hey, like what makes you think Vanessa would want that? You know, it's kind of like that grim hunt thing with Kindred, which is like you can bring him back, but that doesn't mean that's what he wanted. And of course, it, it, when we revisit that, like Vanessa Fisk was the one that killed Richard Fisk. You know, that was kind of like why she died, because uh, she died of like a of a Padme syndrome. Uh, which is just the broken heart. So like that was like, you know, she like bringing her back wouldn't undo the action she had to take on Kingpin's behalf. So the twist isn't that he's bringing her back. It's that he's going to undo that thing. He's going to bring back Richard Fisk, AKA the Rose or like the original, the Rose. Me, not the hobgoblin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. That, that that would be an interesting thing to revisit. Like maybe they can finally switch places uh, or something like that. Yeah. What do you think of this this big uh, twist reveal? I tip my hat to not going with the obvious. I mean, the, the fact that it was so obvious that even Spider-Man was like, eh, he just wants to bring back Vanessa. So, I mean, I tip my hat for doing something different. I mean, you know, what does Richard Fisk or the Rose, what, how, whatever you want to classify them as, coming back really do for... Amazing Spider-Man or the Spider-Man universe going forward? Eh, I don't know. Uh, I, I I mean, it's fine. I I I don't. You know, I, I mean, it's it's from an era of comics that I really enjoyed, but the same token, I don't know how it fits into this one. So you know, I guess wait and see. But I I wasn't like, oh my goodness, this is the coolest thing ever when I got to it. So 
it does have a little more power for me than like bringing back the Sin Eater. I, I'm interested to, to see where this goes at, at the very least. I mean, giving Kingpin some kind of like someone to play off of in an interesting way. That's his own son. Uh, that's complicated. Could be interesting. I'm curious to see how this affects the Daredevil comics where Kingpin plays an even bigger role and if this will be reflected there. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the swerve because we were for so long like, well, it's it's even before they said it was Vanessa, we thought it was Vanessa. You know, it was a clever one, Nick Spencer. I'm gonna, I'm giving it to him for that. So, so that's the end of the book. I guess we got like a black cat preview, which we're not going to talk about here because it's literally just pages of that book. If it gets people to pick up black cat, great, because that's a great comic. We didn't really talk about the art much. Do you have any thoughts on the art in this issue? I, I thought it was really kind of just standard. Yeah, I, I mean, it was fun at parts. I mean, there was nothing in there that, you know, not like last issue, nothing that really called out to me and made me excited visually, but nothing that I thought was poorly done either. Like I said, the, 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 you, you, I think you caught the, the visual sequencing of the costume reveal or renouncement better than I did. Like I had to kind of look at it a few times to kind of catch it. And that was probably my, my mo- most critical part for me. But otherwise, it was fine. All right, Mark, we're going to give this book a grade. Why don't you get us started here? Yeah. Oh, you're making me go first for a change. I, I mean, <laughs> you know, honestly, like, yeah, I don't I don't love the length. I don't love the format. Uh, you know, I didn't have the problems you had getting it. But like, man, do I feel for you? That would really like piss me off if I was <laughs> if this was my situation. But I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm still going to give it a B minus. I, I think this is, you know, this is pretty decent stuff that the, the boomerang reveal was was clever enough to work for me on that end even though there was a lot of other stuff in this issue that didn't work a lot for me so b minus for me i want to echo your sentiments exactly it's a b minus for me for exactly the same reasons and all the other ones that we presented yeah i mean i i think getting a good ending to these stories does do a lot to redeem you know, some of the ups and downs we've been through. And and that makes me kind of happy about issues like this. All right, Dan. Well, it is, of course, that time, time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, as always, this episode was edited by Rick Coast with production support from Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friend, Sal Buscema, and Ray Sumzer. Our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. This episode itself was originally released on Patreon as a live stream hangout with us back when the comic was first released. So, if you'd like to help support our show's continued existence and these reviews, While joining us on the live stream, why not head on over to our Patreon and sign up? There's just a link down in your description there, and you can come join us on Patreon. So, Mark, until you start pulling centipedes out of your ears, what's our motto? Our motto is, with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't don't miss the next one.